Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada, and today will be a little bit longer, but the title is, They're Not Even Hiding It Anymore, Beth Moore Preaching and How to Get Women into the Pulpit. With a bonus, did you know Beth Moore taught on 1 Timothy 2.12? Well, today is a Sunday, first day of Advent, where Beth Moore is preaching at Duke University Chapel. She is named as preacher, welcomed as preacher, and her sycophants are trumpeting their seeming victory of woman as preacher preaching. Curtis Freeman of the Duke University Chapel said, Looking forward to welcoming Beth Moore as our preacher in Duke Chapel on Sunday morning, December 3. Yes, women preachers are welcome in the pulpit. There is a great company of them, just like the Bible talks about. Psalm 68:11. That was Curtis Freeman's tweet on his introduction of Beth Moore at the time, which was upcoming. And more on that Psalm 68 in a second. Well, after Beth Moore preaches, the Baptists and the Anglicans are hosting this sinning Jezebel after she finishes sinning, um, I mean preaching. Now, don't they know how Romans 1 ends? There was a great hullabaloo on Beth Moore's Twitter after this preaching announcement was made, as preaching, not speaking, not doing, not talking, but preaching. For example, this woman on Twitter, Lori Ritter, said, Oh, I just love this so very much. You go on, Miss Beth. Well, Romans 1 ends this way. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Obviously, the women who are applauding Beth Moore in the pulpit, and many men too, and many men who have reverend or pastor in front of their name, don't think they're sinning by women preaching in church. They don't think they're sinning when they applaud women who do so. They're also experts at twisting God's word. The very first words from Satan in the Bible were an undermining of what God had said by the serpent asking Eve, was that really what God said? And if you notice, the second words the serpent uttered were a flat contradiction of what God had said. No, you will not surely die. Genesis 3, 1 to 4. Now, I remember way back in, oh, let me see, it was the spring of 19, only four years ago, when Beth Moore, quote unquote, let slip that she was preaching, I mean, speaking, no, doing Mother's Day at a church. Things were more coy then, just four short years ago. Now they say the sinning part out loud. Here is how to subvert God's word. Four steps to female preachers. 
is my own view, what I've seen from the Bible and from historically what's been happening. First, going back to Genesis 3, the very first assault on God's word was asking if God really said what he said. Did God really say women may not preach? To install a woman at the pulpit, you must first subvert traditional interpretations of what God had said. To wit, when the serpent asked Eve if God really said what he said, Eve answered the serpent correctly, mostly. But the serpent no doubt noticed Eve had added a law to what God had said. She repeated God's command not to eat the fruit, but she also added to it. She said, nor touch it. Now, since this interpretation varied between Adam and Eve, the serpent took that crack in the wall and ran with it. Next, simply ignore thousands of years of settled interpretation, the snap of the fingers, by mirroring Satan's contradiction of the plain command. That implies that interpretations are never settled. No, God didn't say that, did he? No, you will not die. Yes, you can preach. They say, these people who want women in the pulpit, that they will review the verse to understand the interpretation. And they look at word studies and of course cherry pick their preferred definition. And they review all the previous interpreters, cherry picked again, of course. And they do this with an agenda. They're not looking for exegesis, which means drawing meaning out of what's there, but they look for ways around what is there. Now here's how. The people who harp on women belonging in the pulpit say that the phrase in 1 Timothy 2.12, which states, quote, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exer exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. They say, well, that doesn't mean what it appears to mean. The word at the issue with this crowd, let's all interpret this differently, is authentine. Now Strong's definition of that word, which is exercise authority over, authentine, A-U-T-H-E-N-T-E-I-N, means to govern or exercise authority. It says what it says, and the usage of it means to like domineer or govern or have mastery over. They will all say, well, we really need to study that word authentine. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but that's how it's phonetically spelled. Now, this word study involves reinterpreting the verse to say that as long as a woman doesn't become a tyrant at the pulpit, it's okay to preach. They say, since this word in one of its usages means domineering, if a woman preaches humbly, it's okay. I'm not kidding. This teaching is what Beth herself taught in her 1995 book, To Live is Christ, Joining Paul's Journey of Faith. 
That book that she wrote, 1995, is an overview of Paul's life and teaching. And Beth Moore addressed it, addressed 1 Timothy 2.12 in that book. And what follows are Beth Moore's words with a pause after each paragraph with a mini lesson of discernment from me. Quote, Beth Moore said in her book, If you glance through the book of 1 Timothy, you'll notice a continuing exhortation for order in the churches. Paul wrote about servants, or deacons, overseers, widows, elders, and slaves. In stressing order in the church, he made some statements about women that raise controversy. Although these statements are not my focus, I do not want to be charged with cowardice by omitting any mention of them. We are wise to view Paul's exhortations in context. He used far more ink to address deacons and overseers, said Beth Moore. Okay, my note says, well, that verse wasn't controversial for 2,000 years. By her dubbing the verse controversial, it slyly insinuates there's something wrong with it. Beth Moore continues, quote, Beth Moore said, in 1 Timothy 2, 12, 11 to 12, Paul wrote, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. Well, when he said a woman should learn in quietness and be silent, he did not use a Greek word that meant complete silence or no talking. He used a word elsewhere to mean settled down, undisturbed, or not unruly. Remember, Paul's primary ministry was geared toward Gentiles who had never been trained to have respect and reverence in worship. Paul encouraged women to observe traditional customs, lest the young churches suffer a bad reputation. And Beth Moore quote, I say, hmm, well, it was a command. It wasn't cultural, as Beth Moore says. Another paragraph from Beth Moore's teaching on 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 12, from her book, quote, Beth Moore said, Consider a traditional Jewish worship service. Men sat on the lower floor of the synagogue, while women sat in the balcony or at the back of the room. Women were not allowed to utter a word. They merely listened. Contrast this picture with a Christian worship service in the New Testament world. Men and women were together in a private home. The worship centered around praising God, singing, fellowshipping, eating together, sharing testimonies, and receiving instruction in their new faith. Women were included as never before. Talk about a radical idea, said Beth Moore, end quote. My note is what she just wrote in this very immediate paragraph is true. False teachers often mix true with false to confuse the undiscerning. Next paragraph, Beth Moore said, quote, 
The Christian movement was new and fragile. Any taint of adverse publicity could greatly hinder the mission of the church and mean persecution for believers. Women had to restrain their new freedom in Christ, Galatians 3.28, so as not to impede the progress of the gospel. Paul's weaker brother principle, 1 Corinthians 8.9, applies. He said, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Thus, Moore concludes, Women were to learn quietly without calling attention to themselves, end quote. My note says, the faith was never fragile. We don't need to delicately walk on eggshells lest it all collapse. Women didn't have to restrain their freedom. I mean, in the paragraph above, Moore applauds their new freedom. Now suddenly, women are unhappily restricted. Genesis 3.5 comes to mind here. God's holding out on you. One more, another paragraph from Beth Moore's teaching on 1 Timothy 2.12. In regard, quote, to instructing women not to teach men, You must understand that most women in Paul's day were illiterate. They were not taught in synagogue schools or trained by a rabbi. Paul goes on to say in verse 12 that women should not usurp authority over men. Now here it comes. The Greek word authenteo, one who claims authority, is used only in this one time in the Greek translation of the Bible. This is true. The word refers to an autocrat or dictator. So Paul says women were not to come in and take over. End quote, Beth Moore. Well, my note says, as far as women being so-called illiterate, Lydia, Priscilla, Lois, Eunice, and other women were applauded as teachers and disciples of the word. And this, that paragraph more is just stretching things. But yes, women were not allowed to come in and take over the pulpit. Why? God does not want them preaching there. Another paragraph from Moore's, um, the last one from her book on 1 Timothy 2.12. Quote, we cannot regard verses 11 and 12 as a prohibition against women opening their mouths in church or men learning anything biblical from women. Paul gave instructions for how women are to pray and prophesy. He was fully aware of Priscilla's role in teaching Apollos in Ephesus. Paul issued differing instructions for churches based on their cultural settings and his his desire for order in the church. End quote. My note, Priscilla's quote-unquote role was not a role as in an office of teacher in the church. She didn't teach in a church. The verse explicitly says she and her husband took Apollos aside. Priscilla is mentioned six times in scripture, and every time she's mentioned with her husband. 
as far as that authenteo word that they're reinterpreting, I'll read this quote from John MacArthur from his sermon, God's High Calling for Women. A careful study of that word, authentine, means, leads us to understand, it means to take authority, period. It has nothing to do with abusive authority. In fact, if Paul was talking about abusive authority, he wouldn't limit or just be talking about it to women. He'd also be talking about men because it would be just as much a sin for them as for a woman. End quote from John MacArthur. He does have a point. Remember, false teachers like Beth Moore are wordsmiths. They know what to write to create doubt. They make elusive remarks. That means they allude to things or insinuate things. They reinterpret traditionally interpreted verses to match their own agenda. But usurp means usurp. Take authority over means to take authority over. The third step in getting women into the pulpit would be, in my view, after causing one to doubt that God actually said, and then going on to reinterpret a verse, the next step is to designate the unwanted verse as a clobber verse. In this, you have to diminish the verse's importance by saying it's numerically insignificant compared to the rest of the Bible or by its nuance. It's known as a clobber verse. You'll hear that a lot upcoming in upcoming days. Here's Beth again on 1 Timothy 2.12 from the same book, this time from her introduction. Quote, Beth Moore said, Having admired the Apostle Paul for years, I was somewhat surprised by a few comments made by people who learned I was writing a Bible study on his life. I received questions like, how can you, as a woman, write a Bible study about a man who obviously had no tolerance for women in ministry? Sadly, the controversy surrounding small bits of the apostles' teaching has often kept students from delving into the heart and liberating theology of the whole man. End quote from Beth Moore. All right, here's an example of her wordsmithing. Moore said, Paul had no tolerance for women in ministry. Mm, wrong. Paul, via the Spirit, had no tolerance for women in preaching. He welcomed Priscilla, Phoebe, Susanna, and Lydia, and many other women in their ministries, just not preaching. Clobberverse appeared there. Did you catch it? Moore said that they were the parts about women not preaching were small bits. Small bits? Like those verses don't matter? No, all scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. So my question would be, how many times does God have to say something before it's not a small bit anymore? 
Fourthly, to get women into the pulpit, next on the agenda for feminists would be to pretend there is a, quote, tension between what Paul has said and what Christ has said. Drive a wedge between them, like Satan did with Eve and Adam. Once Eve ate the fruit and handed it to Adam, he had a choice to make. We know what he chose. But Beth Moore said in 2019 to Denny Burke, somewhere along the way, Denny, we have to reckon with the fact that we, myself included, went too far. We put limitations on women that exceeded what Christ demonstrated. We did it instead of wrestling with the tension between the Gospels and the Epistles. That was what Beth Moore said about that there's a tension between the Gospels and the Epistles. Hmm. There is no tension. It would be like saying there's a Holy Spirit wrestling against himself between the Gospels and what Paul wrote. Well, in this next one is 4a sort of goes along the same lines. Include other verses that seem to support your position, but don't really. This is that six Psalm 6811 I mentioned at the beginning. Psalm 6811 currently is being used to support women preaching. Duke Chapel did it, and many others did on that Twitter stream too. You'll see it a lot more often. Psalm 6811 says, the Lord gives the command, the women who proclaim good news are a great army. Well, of course women proclaim the good news. The Great Commission applies to all of us. No tension exists. That would be ridiculous. But the idea is to appear pious, that you're eagerly and sincerely delving into the word of God so as to rightly divide it. Appearances are everything to a false teacher. In the blog, Things Above Us, Tim Bates wrote about that very statement that Moore said to Denny Burke about tension between the Gospels and the epistles. And he said his uh, blog is titled, Don't Mention the Tension. And here's his first paragraph. Tim Bates, quote, Beth Moore, a teacher who is tossed about by every wind of doctrine, recently cited tension between the books of the New Testament that, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recorded Jesus' earthly ministry, Matthew to John, and the epistles, which were also inspired by this Holy Spirit. In the context into which she jumped headlong into inevitable heresy, i.e., Jesus and Paul disagree, or better stated, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit disagree, it was appropriate to call out her use of that word tension. There are no irreconcilable tensions about gender roles anywhere in the New Testament. The Bible has no contradictions because God, God cannot lie. <laughs> the end, that's the end of the quote from Tim Bates in his essay, Don't Mention the Tension. And that was just the first paragraph, which I love. 
Now I'm coming to a conclusion here. Armin J. Panning was a Lutheran professor and seminary president, who's passed on now, and he published a well-written, clear, short, four-page word study of that word authentine or authenteo, and I'll link it if you're interested. He rebuts the modern interpretation soundly and theologically. Conclusion. Here are the steps to get women preaching. One, hath God said? Pious doubt. Two, contradict God's word. Three, declare your hated verse a clobber verse and dilute its importance by burying it in a numerical pile under other verses. Four, Mourn an alleged tension in God's word between the hated verse and more preferred verses, driving a wedge between them. 4a. Misuse other verses to continue to appear pious and theological, like Psalm 68. 5. Emerge with a new interpretation and stick to it. Beth Moore ended her introduction to her book on Paul's life this way. Our focus today is on Paul's personal exhortations to Timothy, his son in the faith. Midway through my preparation for this study, I began to realize that one of God's priority goals is to raise up and encourage passionate, persevering saints who are completely abandoned to his will. Paul's exhortations to Timothy stand as timeless words of advice to every servant of the living God, regardless of generation or gender. End Beth Moore quote. Regardless of gender, there you have it. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this. I think it's my longest podcast yet.